0: Hi welcome to the sambhashanam session from IIM Coimbatore alumni association where we interview industry veterans on topics that can potentially transform our professional and personal lives I'm Vishwas Anand marketing and communications lead at Infosys knowledge institute the research and thought leadership arm of Infosys so I did my MBA postgraduate program in management from IIM Coimbatore graduating in 2014 and I'd like to thank team sambhashanam for inviting me to do this session this is particularly special as we completed our Silver Jubilee celebration of IMK's Foundation Day on August 21st. Now, coming to the session, a lot of us are curious about the art and science of good storytelling. Today, there are more than 115,000 storytellers on LinkedIn alone. However, I believe differentiated storytelling is the way forward for individuals and brands to build and create thought leadership. Now, thought leaders are not born. They are made. They are made with secret recipes for storytelling. And why are stories so important today? And as our guest speaker, Mike Adams puts it so well, stories are the natural language for our minds. We learn, make sense of our world, remember and plan with stories. So let me introduce our guest speaker, Mike Adams. He has a very interesting profile. So in 2002, when Chechen terrorists took over 850 hostages in Moscow's Dubrovka theater siege, the police barricades went up outside Mike's office where he had a perfectly good software sales manager role in the oil and gas industry. It was time to bring the family home after more than a decade working and living in nine countries. Now back in Australia, Mike told the best story of his career to land a job selling telecom equipment. That led overseas again, managing more than a hundred sales and technical sales staff across Asia. Now Mike went on to sell in FOMO industries with blue chip corporations such as Schlumberger, Siemens, Nokia, Halliburton, Motorola, and Spotless. Now, with each industry change landing him on the wrong side of a steep learning curve, with only a short time to really succeed, Mike learned the value of seeking out and sharing specific persuasive stories. Now, he finds stories and teaches storytelling to a client base as diverse and international as his own sales career. Over to you, Mike.
1: Thanks very much for the introduction, Vishwas, and thanks everybody for joining, no matter what is the platform you are experiencing this on. Yeah, delightful to have that introduction. I like to tell a little story about myself when I go on a podcast, and I like to make that story as relevant as possible to my audience. So I was thinking about what should I say about an Indian audience, because some of my most exciting business trips have been trips to India. And I thought about telling about the time when I missed a flight in Delhi to go to Duliajan in Assam and had to take the, uh, the flight to Gawati and the slow train overnight instead. and I thought, no, well, that was a funny story, but maybe not too relevant. And then I thought I would tell you about a business trip I made when I was working in the oil and gas industry and I was meeting with one of the big Indian conglomerate companies. You can maybe imagine In fact, this was one of the companies that I knew quite well from when I was selling in the telecommunications industry and also in oil and gas. So that might narrow it down a little bit for you. And I visited their headquarters in Mumbai, beautiful new buildings. And I got to meet the senior manager in his enormous office. And we talked for 40 minutes or so. And then uh, he said to me, Mike, uh, would you be willing to make a presentation to our technical people. We have about 30 or 40 highly technical PhD uh, scientists uh, uh, here. Would you give a presentation to these people? And I said, of course, yeah, I'd be, I'd be absolutely happy to do that. And he said, good, come this way. And he opened the door and there was a theatre right there with 30 people sitting waiting for me to give a presentation, and I thought, my goodness, have they been waiting for 30 minutes while I was having a chat here and I hadn't even agreed to do the presentation? And it was all fine. I gave the presentation, we had a really nice discussion, but it's something interesting about India, and this is something interesting about management in India because you have a very hierarchical management structure. Your managers are really on top and the other people they will wait and they have to wait and this is not how it is in australia where i come from we have a quite different structure our managers are kind of servant managers you know they're on a level they're not more important (laughs) and it's very interesting when you think about knowledge creation anyone can create new knowledge anyone can be creative it's not about a hierarchy So that's something I learned about India. And I think it's changing very fast, actually. And I I love to see what is happening there. So a little story about my business trip in India. I'm going to uh, share my screen and explain what I will talk about for about 30 minutes. And then we're going to do a little Q&A first with Vishwas and then with any questions that that you may have. Okay, so let's see if I can make this work. Okay, let's hide that. So my plan is to talk for about 10 minutes on the foundations of storytelling, what stories are and why we tell stories. And then because this was billed as a science and art, I will talk a little bit about the science because I'm an electrical engineer and I care a lot about science. And then finally, we'll talk about the practitioner's art and the manager's art in using stories and how we can use stories in our work. So the first thing is knowing what a story is and what a story isn't. You know, today's storytelling is, is really fashionable. Like uh, Vishwa said, there are hundreds of thousands of people who call themselves storytellers. Now, that's a new thing. When Anecdote was founded back in 2004, storytelling was like a dirty word. You didn't use the word story. When you were talking in a business conversation it wasn't considered the right thing to do now everybody talks about storytelling but they don't necessarily know what a story is in fact a couple of years ago one of my clients sent me a a white paper that he had received from one of the world's largest consulting companies one of these companies that does lots of reports you might guess who it is and the topic of the paper was the importance of technical sales, the, the importance of storytelling for technical sales. And I thought, fantastic. That's exactly what I want to know about because I'm right into technical sales and I love storytelling. And it was an 11 page report. And as I read through it, I went from page to page to page, and there wasn't a single story in the 11 page report. And unfortunately, this is quite common. People think they're talking about story and they're not. So what is a story? Well, the first thing is a story is a sequence of related events, a sequence of events in time. If there's no sequence of events, it's not a story. The second thing is stories occur in time and place. Business stories, we should tell true stories in business, not fables or fairy tales or Made-up stories, most particularly, we should tell true stories, and they should be set in a time and a place. If I say, "Once upon a time," you know I'm about to tell a fairy tale. I don't recommend that in business. But if I say, "In 1996, I was transferred," I was transferred to Norway for my first sales job. You know I'm about to tell you a true story, and you know where it happened and when it happened. Stories happen to a character. Not always, but usually a human character. And usually there's some conversation in the story. I told you a not very exciting story about receiving a report from one of my clients. And I had a little bit of conversation in it when I said, you know, I thought, wow, this would be great. I really want to read about this. That's a little bit of internal monologue, but it's conversation and it puts me in the story. But more importantly when we have a character in our story the listener can imagine themselves as that character. That's what we do when we hear a story or we read a story or we watch a movie we imagine ourselves as the character and we experience what the character experiences and that's one of the reasons that stories are so powerful. Stories are a promise of something at least an unanticipated. If you can absolutely easily predict what's going to happen in a story. It's not very interesting. So you might say it's still a story, but it's a boring story. So there's a promise of surprise. I say that the story needs to keep the listener guessing, not quite sure what's going to happen next. And finally, most importantly for business stories, it has to make a relevant business point. Otherwise, you risk being labelled a time waster. You might be thought of as wasting time. I'm quite often asked, are there some people that don't like stories? And my answer is, everybody loves stories. We all learn from stories. As children, we've all learned from stories. We love stories. But important business people don't like their time wasted. So your story has to be relevant and right to the point and tight. And a good way to make sure that an important listener does listen is to use what we call a relevant statement. So you might say something like, I'd like to make the importance of performing a trial before we install this new system. And then you would tell the story. And the listener knows why you're telling the story. They know what the point is going to be about. So you tell your story. There's a link here that you might like to uh, to log into after this event and test yourself. There are 10 stories there on the anecdote website. And about half of them are stories, and about half of them are not stories. And you can check to see whether these five points are relevant, and whether or not they're a, a business story or not. Here's another way to visualize a story. A lot of people talk about a narrative arc. Now, when we tell business stories, we're usually only telling you know, one or two-minute stories. But they still have a little sort of arc within them. So they start with a time and a place and a character, and an event. And then the next event, something happens. Because of that, something happens. And then a surprise. Oh, I didn't expect that. And then a turning point, and we make our point. So that's another way to visualize the story. So why tell stories at all in business? Well, one way to imagine storytelling is to imagine conversational layers. And 99% of all business conversation is not story. And it's high level. By high level, I mean, it's a generalization, it's opinion, it's assertion. If I say customer service is our number one priority, that is an assertion and a generalization. But if I come down a layer go a little bit deeper and tell you some events. Maybe I tell you about how we set up our customer service team. And when we started, we weren't quite sure how to put it together. But then we worked out that how we needed to follow the sun and we needed how many people we had. And I'm telling you a narrative, a sequence of events about how we set up customer service because customer service is our number one priority. And that can be okay. That can be good story. It's more interesting than just the generalization. But it's still not great story. Great story has little moments in it where we can really picture ourselves there, where where there's some little description. We can see ourselves there or conversation. And we, ah, I get it. I'm in this story. And that sequence from non-story down to narrative to great story. Is going from abstract to concrete. So we love stories because they're concrete. We can really get the meaning of stories. If I tell you customer service is our number one priority, it's hard to grasp the meaning of that. What do you really mean by that? But if I asked you, could you give me an example of great customer service? And you told me a story, man, I would get it. Okay, now I get what you mean because it's concrete. And that's one of the major advantages of storytelling. Maybe you could type into the chat what some of the benefits of stories are, and we'll talk about some of your ideas in the Q&A. So just type them in the chat window. So an important tip, when we're teaching people about storytelling, and we teach managers, and we teach strategy people how how to explain strategy through story, and we teach sales teams, that's mostly what I do teach sales teams how to use stories to make their conversation much more impactful and interesting. But when we're teaching people to learn about storytelling, there's a strong tendency to use the story word, to say story all the time. And we don't want to say, I'm going to tell you a story or I'd like to tell you a story because some people might think, well, that's just made up or it's childish. So we need to coach each other to not say the word story, but to instead say something like, well, that reminds me of. But your comment reminded me. Just last week, we were doing this, and then you tell your story. So a little bit on the science, because you asked. The the elephant here has some significance, which I'll get to in a minute. And I'm just going to stop sharing my screen for a second. Okay, when I uh, wrote my book on storytelling, which which is seven stories every salesperson must tell, and because I'm an engineer, I read a lot of books on storytelling, and almost every book that I got hold of, and you can see a lot of them behind me, had the first chapter about the science of storytelling. And almost all those books talked about the new brain and the old brain, the reptilian brain, and how stories can connect with our emotions through the amygdala and they talked a lot about this old brain emotion stuff and one of my hobbies is artificial intelligence and in particular general artificial intelligence and i sit in i'm a curious guy i sit in on research meetings around the people that are trying to reverse engineer how our brain works to understand cognitive neuroscience and This is not the answer. What you read in those books is not what's really going on with storytelling. The most important part of our brain to understand when we're talking about stories is the neocortex. It is the outer part of our brain. If you put your two fists in front of you about like this, that's how how big your whole brain is. And the neocortex is the wrinkly bit on the outside, like your fingers in two halves. And if you were to lay it out flat, it's about the size of a napkin, tea towel, about two or three millimetres thick, six layers of nerve cells, about 30 billion of them, cross-connected and vertically connected. It's the world's most complicated wiring diagram, if you're an engineer. And it does one very special thing. The neocortex at every little square millimetre of that T-tail, every little bit is like a mini brain that predicts its inputs. It predicts its inputs. That's an amazing piece of tissue. That tissue can predict its inputs. The inputs, well, the external inputs to the neocortex come from your eight your eight senses. Well, most people think we have five, but we really have eight sensory groups. The three that you didn't learn about in primary school are your proprioception, your body sense, where your body is in space, your vestibular system, your balance of how your head is balanced on your head. And most importantly, your internal body sense, your sense of arousal, your heart rate, your sweat, your your body response. That's called interoception. All of those eight senses connect up into the neocortex and cross-connect. And when you hear a story, what your neocortex does is it predicts across all of your senses what will happen next and your neocortex was predicting I was going to say the word next, because that's what you're doing all the time, predicting what's going to happen next. So when you hear a story, and because stories are sequences of events, and the neocortex works with events, that's how it works. It's trying to predict what's going to happen next. It will predict what the character in the story will see, how they will move, and most importantly, how they will feel by reference to your memory of emotions you will predict how the character will feel so provided there's a sequence of events and provided there's some surprise so your neocortex is interested because it gets very uninterested very quickly your neocortex only focuses on the things that it can't predict easily and the things that it thinks are important i'll come to that in a minute so as long as it's surprising and it seems important Your neocortex is very busy trying to predict what will happen next. And that's the power of stories. We don't know what's going to happen next, so we pay attention. And we really want to learn what's going to happen next. And we can feel the story, imagine the story, even though we're just hearing it. So it's a remarkable capability that our neocortex has. Of course, the older part of the brains, that they also have some part to play but really the neocortex is the true science of this and the elephant the significance of the elephant is that the mahout represents rational thought and the elephant represents emotional reasoning so rational rational reasoning and emotional reasoning in business we like to say you know keep the emotions out we just want to be logical we want to be rational but here's the thing Our neocortex cannot make a decision. It cannot decide to act without reference to our memory of emotions, which is in the bit of the neocortex above your eyes. So if this is the back here was your visual cortex at the front where my little fingers are here, that's where we have our memory of our past emotions. And when we make a decision, it is always a decision to feel good to feel comfortable in some way, in some time frame. People who have damage to that part of their neocortex cannot make a decision. They're unable to make decisions. They're able to talk about the decision, but not make it, because that's how our brain works. We refer to our emotional memory in order to make a decision. So one of the magical things about stories, as opposed to normal, rational, logical conversation is, We can pass emotions with stories, and we can help people to act to make a decision through the story that we cannot do with logical argument. Okay, I'm going to share my screen again and try to get the right one. Okay, so we're here at the science. That was the science. We don't have too much time. So I'm going to talk now about the art and the practice of using stories in business, particularly for managers. i hide that. So one of the things that managers are involved in a lot is changing behavior of people, getting teams to work well together, to work towards a particular goal, to behave the right way, to take on a shared goal, and work on maybe a new strategy. That's a common business problem. And we don't teach storytelling and we don't learn storytelling just because it's fun. We learn storytelling because we want to solve problems. Introducing change in business is a problem. Getting people to change behavior is a big problem. So in storytelling is a tool that can do that. Some of the other problems that we use storytelling for, such as when I'm working with sales teams, sales teams have a problem of how to connect and become trusted with a client. Well, stories can solve that problem. How to introduce a change agenda, stories can help there. How to actually get your client to decide to do something, to act, and stories can help there. So stories are problem-solving tools. So let's talk about change stories. The first one I want to introduce is called the value story. And it's a story that people will tell in your company and outside your company to explain how you behave. And I'll give you an example. In the, After the Second World War, there was a massive change that started in, in the Western countries in the way people work. So up until the time and through the Second World War, most workers were either agricultural workers or manufacturing. In the manufacturing industry, you clock on, You clock off and you have a supervisor who makes sure you do your work. But slowly, different kinds of companies were being developed, knowledge companies. And a good example is Hewlett-Packard, now called HP. They were founded uh, in the Santa Clara Valley, south of San Francisco, what's now known as Silicon Valley, but it wasn't then. And it was uh, an electronics company. They, They made oscilloscopes. So 1939, they were were founded. And early in the company's history, Bill Hewlett, one of the founders, came in on the weekend to work on a prototype device with a couple of his colleagues. And when he got there, they found that the storeroom, the equipment room door, was locked. So Bill grabbed a fire axe and smashed the door down and then left a note on the smashed door. And the note said, this door will never be locked again because we trust our people. That's a value story. Bill was acting in a way that showed that he trusts his people. And if you wanna manage knowledge workers, you have to trust them because it's their brain that's being used and you can't supervise that. And we trust our people became one of the taglines of HP and they developed that into their, what was called the HP way, their way of behaving. But notice that the story comes first. A lot of companies think that they can do an HR exercise and say, these are our values. But employees and stakeholders don't buy that. We don't believe your stated values. We believe what leaders do and the stories that get created by what they do. So you can do what we call triggering a story by doing something that shows the values of your company. People will tell a story about it. And that's a value story. And this is the pattern. So a leader in situ, so that was Bill Hewlett in a situation, in a normal business situation, is challenged. What's he going to do? The door is locked. He responds with integrity. He responds in a way that communicates the values of his company and people get it. People understand it and they tell that story internally and it communicates how to behave. Let's look at another business problem. Because we have this habit of talking in the abstract, we talk in abstract terms in business. Most business conversation is abstract. We talk a lot of detail. Oftentimes, our staff don't understand the big picture, particularly when we have a new strategy to communicate. So here's an example. I'll give you 30 seconds, maybe less, to read This instruction, this is an instruction and a very nice business instruction. Have a go and see if you can work out what it's about. Not very easy to read, is it? Now I'm going to give you the gist. I should say the word gist means like the the, the broad outline, the, the big picture of what this is about. Here you go. That's what this is about. Now do you know? what this means? I think it's, it's much easier, isn't it? Because now you know the outline, you know the big picture. And that's a problem with strategy communication. So what happens with strategy is that leaders come up with a new business strategy, maybe we're going to merge, we're going to focus on a new area of business. And they write a strategy document, but The staff don't really understand that strategy. They don't understand what it means for them. There's no meaning with that. And so they just keep doing what they always did. They don't change. And leaders get frustrated. Managers get frustrated. So we we need a change story. And the clarity structure, this pattern, is the pattern we teach when we're helping leaders to communicate strategy. So we start by making sure everybody understands what the strategy is and we all agree on it. And then we communicate the strategy in this structure or the change in this structure. So it starts with in the past. So in the past, things were like this, but then something happened. The something that happened is the reason for the change. So now we're doing this. So now we're doing this new thing. And in the future, it's going to be like this. I'll give you a quick example with the coronavirus in mind. So in the past, Anecdote, my company, used to do mostly face-to-face, one-day training courses, sometimes two-day training courses. And we were very good at it. Quite expensive, I have to say, but we're very good at it. And we have a very good business with partners all over the world, about 60 of them delivering our programs. And then something happened called COVID nineteen, and in the space of a, a week, our business went almost to zero. And we realized we couldn't do face to face training, we couldn't do keynote events, any of that stuff that we like to do. So we developed online programs for all of our training. So we put together online courses. We worked out we still wanted very high quality programs. We worked out how to combine coaching online with with workshops and we started delivering them and an amazing thing happened we got a better response than when we were doing the face-to-face in fact i've been working with sales teams all over the world i've just finished programs in hong kong philippines and uh, here in australia and the not only are the net promoter scores better but we track the quality of the stories that are told and they are much better they're not a little bit better they are much better than they were when we did face-to-face training. And the reason is we split the training into smaller um, time periods, one or two hours. We do one-on-one coaching between the session using video message, and they learn a lot more. The quality of stories is much better. And in the future, we're not going back to all-day training. We're going to mix and match face-to-face with online because the result is much better. So that's an example of the clarity pattern communicating a change that's occurred in our business. All right. So we're coming up now. So this is the clarity structure. In the past, something happened in the future. But we need to add little moments. And I did that. I added little moments about, you know, what it was like you know, working with a team in Singapore, with uh, in Philippines, and Hong Kong and Australia. Adding little details really helps to bring the story to life. And when you have a big picture strategy story that works well at a high level, you still need to change that story as it goes down through the departments by adding little moments, little little examples into that story that are relevant for the local departments or the local country. I'll just finish up, there are really three types of story work. We don't just tell stories for the sake of passing information, it's good for that, but we tell stories to get stories, to hear stories. And this is critically important for salespeople. We call it story listening. We say that you need to tell a story to get a story. And when we teach salespeople storytelling, we're explaining to them that the concept is to tell a story so that you can ask a story. So if you tell a story about yourself, a connection story, then you would say, "Well, enough about me, what about you?" and hear a story back from your client and get to know them much better. Or if you tell a success story about one of your other clients and how they succeeded with your products and services, then you would say, "Well, enough about them. How's things going on here?" And what you get back is a story from your from your prospect client, a rich detail, a much better way to discover what's going on with them. Most of those books behind me are about questioning and listening skills for salespeople, but they really don't teach the right questions. They don't teach the sort of stories that get a, they don't teach the sort of questions that get a story. So if you want to change your culture, you need to change the stories and you need to use stories to change behavior and to get change going. So that's me, that's my 30 minutes. I think I didn't do too badly for time, uh, is that right? Thank you so
0: much. Thank you, Mike, I think that was very informative. You touched upon various details and uh, it's it's very interesting. I mean, we use stories for all kinds of purposes, be it personal or professional life. I think what you touched upon is really uh, something that we can take back take away with great lessons in, into each of the areas. I mean, I know the are broad areas that you spoke about, but uh, it's uh, fantastic. So I, I just have a few questions, Mike. So um, I, I know you talked about storytelling, but um, the art and science of storytelling is, is much more complex than we really uh, perceive it to be because yes. there's, there's so, so many elements at play. So uh, how hard do you think is it really to learn uh, storytelling from a person from a layman's perspective who doesn't really know the art and science behind it, how how would you recommend uh, an approach or guidance to them?
1: Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, We all tell stories. You know, we all tell stories from childhood with our friends. So we all intrinsically understand storytelling, but we probably don't understand the purpose and which type of story to tell when or how to actually collect stories. So that's one of the things that we train in our training courses, because our training courses are always using the stories of our clients. We never teach generic stories. It's always about finding their stories and telling their stories. And and so that skill takes a little bit of time. But to give you an idea, like a sales team, we do that virtually at the moment. So that would be four two-hour sessions going through different types of stories that salespeople need following a buying cycle so from connecting and building trust to selling change and then getting the decision so we teach those and then we usually put them in a competition because salespeople are quite competitive and and that forces them to really practice their art it's not until you've really had a go at trying to tell a story in a business conversation that you kind of get the feeling of how it's done and so yeah it's really a matter it's like any skill it's a skill it's not some people are born with it and others are not. I'm an engineer. I don't think I was born with this skill. I had to teach myself how to do it. And I think anyone can with a little bit of dedicated practice. Long answer. Sorry, Vishwas.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting, Mike. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, you've spoken about um, in, in your book. I mean, so people who haven't read your book uh, uh, need to really pick it up to really understand the conversation technique that you're talking about. But... Uh, just curious, um, why there was a whole book on a single conversation technique? Mike, would you help elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, i I wrote I wrote the book because there wasn't really a book like it. You know, most most sales training books that talk about questions to ask. You should ask this question, and then that will sort of make your prospect want to ask this, want to tell you this, and it's sort of like a control by questions. But if you if you sit and observe really good salespeople, and often they're not people who are called salespeople, often those are business owners, people who have started their own company. If you watch them in a meeting, they don't ask those kinds of questions like in the sales training books, they tell stories. Some of them just don't stop. Some of them just tell stories, story, story, story. but it's very effective. So what I had observed, those really good people telling stories, and I'd noticed what had happened in my own career, and I felt that it was missing. We we hadn't we didn't teach that. And I felt that it's possible to teach. So I started trying to teach it and, and it worked really well. I was amazed how well it worked. And then I wrote the book about the techniques that we'd worked out and, and how to, you know, how to learn it is in the book and, and, and how to use it. Yeah, so I, I wrote the book because I felt there wasn't a book that did what that book teaches.
0: Great, Mike. And uh, what is the science behind that uh, conversation technique, Mike, that you spoke about?
1: Well, yeah, look, the science is a little bit what I spoke about in the talk, which is that our brains are trying to predict what's happening. So when when we meet a stranger, so that's the that's the problem of a salesperson meeting a prospect for the first time or a manager meeting their staff for the first time when they take on a new job when we meet a stranger we're trying to predict what is the character of that person can i trust them are they going to be good for me to know or is this going to be a problem for me you know how is how is my life going to change by meeting that person so we're trying to predict that and i can't really tell you explicitly you should trust me and i'm going to be good for you because that doesn't work right but if i tell you a story about something that happened to me then you can infer, okay, Mike sounds like, oh, I think I can trust this guy, right? And then if I get you to share a story with me, I can understand you because I don't actually want to sell my services to everybody. Some people aren't good fun to work with. I want to know what they're going to be like to work with. So I want to hear their story. I want to hear their situation because some people are not in the right situation for me to be able to help them. So I need to go and talk to someone else. So I need to hear their situation. So I need them to tell me their story. So the science of this is very simple. We communicate, we learn from each other by sharing stories. And if we learn how to tell the right story, we can get the right information back. And our staff, our partners, our clients, they can understand what they need to understand about us. They can infer the right things about us. So that's that's a very simple science.
0: Okay. So uh, you, you spoke about the end funnel stage, uh, uh, Mike. One uh, question. I'll, I'll take the audience question uh, just, just after this one. So from the awareness um, consideration into final purchase, uh, yes. mostly books and other uh, arguments have delved into the uh, aspect of client selling or the uh, solutioning aspects of things. I just, I'm just curious because um, quite often, like in our case as well, the storytelling department sits separate from the uh, sales department. So in yes. that case, we don't really have the right kind of data points to uh, reflect on client data, uh, data stories. Whereas we, we conduct probably primary research and then go about uh, constructing narratives or constructing what's the next big thing in technology or a business trend for that matter. So um, how do you think, I mean, the approach would the approach change in this perspective? Because here we are in a way, uh, as you said, the neocortex is anticipating the next trend. So here in thought leadership, we are always anticipating what's to come without really understanding uh, that there is a, going to be a clear narrative in the process. So it's not like it's happened. So we are imagining a future which hasn't happened. So how do you think uh, we should go about such a uh, process? Is, is there any best... Uh, approach or a recommended way of looking at things from this perspective, right? Uh,
1: okay. So, complex complex question, Vishwas. <laughs> but I think you started talking about how marketers think about storytelling, right? And they think in terms of a brand story. And of- oftentimes, they get a little bit lost in great hero's journey kind of things. Um, and... My what we teach is is a little a lot more grounded than that. We're mostly talking about anecdotes, little one or two minute anecdotes that a manager can tell or a salesperson can tell, that do work, that actually work in a conversation. Now when we get up to the brand story and what is the story of our company and what, how our company serves its clients, marketing people would do very well to go and listen to some real client stories because a success story a success story of a client that really succeeded with your company follows a kind of brand story structure so if i was to tell you about one of our shall i tell you how are we going let me tell you a let me tell you a success story i'll tell you one from anecdote and i will just label the parts of it as i go through and this is a kind of a brand story which, so we can take this story and we can abstract it a little bit to say that this is our brand story, but it's an example of a true client success story. So back in 2019, it's a time, uh, one of the world's largest uh, IT consulting companies, US-based um, US, US based company, it's a place, um, was... Embarking on their annual leadership development program. And the head of organizational developments, a lady by the name of Cathy, uh, she was in charge of getting five to 600 of their director level consultants. So these are people that might make it to managing partner. So they're the real up and coming director level people in their company, in charge of training them in leadership. And it was a one year program. And then at the end they had to work on a project in groups of five or six. And then they had to present their projects to the headquarters, which is in the US. I won't say exactly where, because that gives the game away. And she had just come out of one of those meetings, and the the not the CEO, but the second top guy had told her that it was absolutely painful, terrible presentations. And and in fact, he said, Is this how these is this how our people present to our clients? It's awful. So Kathy knew she had a problem. Now, anecdote had delivered some management training in Southeast in Asia, and so Kathy knew our managing director, Mark Shank, contacted him by email. He happened to be in the U.S. and met Kathy in New York. She had he had thirty minutes, so thirty so ninety minutes later, Mark came out and they had developed a detailed plan. There wasn't much time, so they worked out that they were going to train five hundred people remotely on three webinars at different time zones and then coach them using the anecdote worldwide partner network so using partners all around the world kathy was um worried about virtual she thought there might be a very high drop-off rate they may not accept that she didn't know but there wasn't really enough time so she accepted that and um so they proceeded to do that the drop-off rate was almost zero they had nearly 100 percent um, participation on two hour webinars on three time zones and the coaching was brilliant they ran the next session without PowerPoint first time ever and the chief operating officer senior partner comment was chalk and cheese unbelievable difference in the how compelling the presentations were which pleased Kathy somewhat as you can imagine so I'll take you through the structure the structure is your client in a situation with a problem Now that can be the standard problem that you solve they meet a guide which was anecdote that they already knew about us and they develop a plan and the plan involved setting up virtual workshops and training and coaching and using a partner network and avoided failure and they're worried about participation and how this might not work and also worried about will it really change the behavior of their people and then they achieve success and the success was very apparent to the senior managers And there was obviously a personal success for Kathy as well. So that structure, which is a specific story about a specific client, can be abstracted to a brand story. But you need to start with real stories to make a brand story. Just like the real story of Bill Hewlett and Hewlett Packard is the real way to set the values, brand stories have to start with real client stories. Long answer to your question again, Vishwa, sorry.
0: Uh That was very insightful, uh, Mike. Thank you. I think we had a question from the audience as well. It's um, just about flashing right now. Yeah. So, what about the philosophy of Minto's pyramid? Um, uh, so, the art of uh, storyboarding is what Clark Prasad would like to understand. Uh, which book would you recommend for us to buy in order to understand so storyboarding? Look,
1: um, you don't need to know anything about storyboarding at all. I mean, if we're talking about a simple anecdote that you can use in a conversation, we don't need a storyboard. We just need a setting and something that happens that's interesting, that's surprising, that passes a relevant business point. It can be extremely straightforward. We we have a strong tendency in business to overcomplicate things. And if you want a book recommendation, it is this one, which is by Sean Callahan, Putting Stories to Work. Sean is the founder of a- founder of Anecdote, my company. is a brilliant. That's probably the best general business storytelling book that you that you can read. Not, there's no Hollywood in this. We're not we're not creating a Hollywood movie or a, uh, anything like that. We don't need to storyboard, so we can make it much less complex than that.
0: we could have other questions as they stream in, um, yeah
1: okay situations- i can move on here are there situations when one realizes it's better not to tell a story yes absolutely so when not to tell a story is that's an important thing that we teach people so when- um, well firstly if it's not appropriate if someone comes and asks you the directions to some place you're not going to tell a story you're going to give them the directions right so so direct requests for information are not a chance and uh, not a chance to tell a story. The main thing is don't tell a story unless you have a highly relevant story to the situation that you're in. So don't tell a story if it's not relevant. Adults don't like to hear the same story twice. So don't tell the same story twice to your clients. That's actually an interesting point because you know entrepreneurs or business founders, successful business founders are very often good storytellers. And they often tell the same story more than once. And their staff can't stand it because they've all heard it before. But of course, they have lots of clients. And the clients haven't heard it before. So it works perfectly on the clients. So yeah, so there are well times did. when you tell a story.
0: Well said, Mike. So um, the interesting element that you spoke about was not telling a story when um, it's not really relevant. So. Uh, the other aspect you spoke about was um, creating those moments of truth in in uh, the journey of a story itself so uh, yes. a lot of times i mean we realize that those uh, we fail to identify those moments of truth in a, in a story so how how do you think i mean um, uh, since you mentioned about asking the right kind of questions to get the right uh, moments out uh, do you think these moments are captured i mean given this age of social media that these moments could come out at some place and could often be missed in a lot of conversations, uh, Mike?
1: Yeah, so when I talk about moments in a story, I'm really talking about the way that you tell the story so that the listener can imagine themselves there. They can really imagine themselves in the story. And there's a little bit of an art to learning how to do that because suppose I was to tell you, my career story. Well, you can see by my gray hair, I'm quite old. And there's a lot of events in that story. It will take me a long time to tell you that story. Or if I wanted to tell you that story in a short time, I would have to go, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And there's no moment in that. There's no interesting moment. So we teach people to don't do that. Don't try to tell a whole lot of things. Just focus on a small event. And tell us about that. Tell us what really happened then. So, I chose to tell you, to tell at the beginning, a little story about a business meeting I had in Mumbai. It's a connection story. It wasn't very long, but it was about one thing that happened. I didn't tell you about where I graduated from or what company I worked or what job I had or stuff. I just tell you a little story about an event. And then I can say, what about you? I mean, have you also worked in Mumbai? You know, so we're using this as a way to connect. So the moments are found in the detail, not too much detail, but just enough detail that the listener can imagine themselves in the story. We want them to imagine and to follow along.
0: Okay, so so maybe once we have more questions, I'll I'll put them up. But I just wanted to understand what what is your take on um, having um, having a hypothesis to a story and then uh, probably using data points to really back up the story. Uh, right? Sure. sense that um, right now, I mean, so even within a client organization, uh, I'm sure you might have come across many stories, like say one client speaking in many voices. They're not probably consistent with one brand voice, but then uh, if we have sufficient data points to really back it up, it would really make for a very interesting story. So what is, how how do you think we can, uh, managers can really get those kinds of data points, right?
1: Okay. So I, I'm going to have a guess at a couple of different ways to answer this question. So um, so we have, we have lots of data points and we need to kind of collect them to make meaning out of them in a story, right? Let me give you a, so one of the things we teach is data storytelling. So we teach technical people how to be interesting in there and how to really be listened when they're talking about data and how they present data. So the problem for technical people is they know their subject very well, and they often like to put lots of charts and graphs and things up and talk, and they're often lost their audience right at the beginning. Nobody knows what they're talking about, and away they go, slide after slide after slide, nobody got it. So the problem for these people is they're not explaining the meaning of what's behind the data. They forget that their audience doesn't have their understanding. So they need to be able to pass the meaning. And story can really help there. So even in the situation where you have some data, if you convert it into a story, so let's say that I have looked at a bunch of data points and I have developed an insight that I think is really important that I would like to communicate. If I just say, here's the insight, nobody gets it. But if I say, look, you know, we started. And we had this and we were looking at the data this way and we played it that way. And then we said, no, let's let's look at it. Let's cut it the other way and look that way. And that didn't work. But then then Fred had the great idea that we should extract only this data and plot that. And when we did that, it was obvious. The real meaning is this. So now we're telling the story of how we discovered the insight, and people can understand that and they can follow along and then they get the data. So that's one of the ways that you can pass meaning with data using storytelling that you can't do just by giving the insight and the raw data. Raw data, nobody understands. And insight on its own without explanation, people don't understand. So the explanation comes with the story. And that's really what happens with stories where they are explanations of what goes on. I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but anyway. Yeah,
0: it did, it did, Mike. Thank you. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so So there's a question. uh,
1: Dhananjay Gavade, can the art of storytelling be taught or needs to be natural? We we covered it, uh, Dhananjay. It can be taught and even people who are somewhat natural can learn a lot by going along and learning more. So some people are quite good natural storytellers. They are often not great story listeners. They often don't understand that we want to tell a story to hear a story. So they can still be taught. And so, yes, everybody can be taught, even people who are who don't really like conversation. They're kind of introspective, uh, introvert. They can be taught how to tell stories, and they can enjoy it. So yes, good question. OK, Mahesh says, is relating an anecdote to customers' senior management better when the age gap between the seller and the buyer is not much? Really interesting question, actually. And a big problem for salespeople, because quite often, salespeople are junior in age to to their buyers. You know, we hire young salespeople, we send them out, you know, go and try to meet the, the senior person. And stories can be a tremendous bridge to that problem. Because imagine you're a salesperson and you have some knowledge that you think your buyer would appreciate, or you're a young person and you have some knowledge that the senior people would appreciate. If you just tell them, here is what's right, they won't listen to you because you're too young. You know, why should I listen to you? What do you know? But if you tell them that insight story, if you say, look, you know, we've been working on this problem here, my colleagues and I, and we've got the data and we weren't sure how to do it. And we looked at it this way and, and, look, and look at what we discovered. Here's how we discovered it. That's very interesting. And the senior people are going to go, ah, now I get it. And they will listen because stories are naturally interesting. They have that unpredictable nature. They want to know what's going to happen next. So storytelling is one of the few tools that really helps a junior person talk with a senior person in many different roles. So I like that question. Well,
0: this is very interesting as well, uh, Mike, because uh, you're talking about the junior people playing the same kind of role, uh, having the same kind of visibility when it comes to client selling or speaking yeah. with the client. And um, the other aspect of it is um, democratizing storytelling within an organization itself, Mike. Yes. advocate that uh, within any organization? Because... Uh, usually, it's the um, uh, it's it's either a strategic wing within marketing, telling a brand story, uh, ensuring that it's on point, and uh, there there are certain. On the other hand, the sales uh, uh, folks who really go out there and get client information. So how, how does uh, so, so how does that, how does that consistency get maintained across when you're trying to democratize uh, storytelling across an organization? Mike.
1: Good question. So there's a piece of um, technology, we call it technology, piece of technology that makes a massive difference. It's called a story bank or a story library. We capture our best company stories and we put them somewhere that everybody can listen to them. Can, you, we just capture them as short videos, usually two minute videos. So we capture the company story. We capture stories about the value stories, like the story I told about Hewlett-Packard. We capture stories like that of our leaders behaving the right way. We capture success stories for the salespeople to tell to their clients and for the marketing people to know what really happens in sales situation. We capture negotiation stories so that we understand how to negotiate. We capture um, stories about our people so that we can introduce our people with a story Instead of just say their technical job role or whatever, so a story bank is the is the key to democratizing stories and to get them working for you at all levels of the organisation in the sales department, in marketing, in operations, and in senior management and strategy. Everywhere, everybody needs access to those stories, and it almost never happens. So yeah, but that's something we do, and that's that's something that I've been implementing a lot this year. Has been one of my personal goals has been putting story banks into every client that I work with.
0: That's wonderful to hear, Mike. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's a really important part of knowledge management.
0: True, true.
1: Okay, Sanchar has asked, what is the trick to magnify the element of surprise in a story? Okay, you, if, it's one of those things that if you go directly at it, you fail. You know, one of the reasons that it's really difficult to be a good author or a good movie maker is just that question. How do I actually get some suspense and surprise in my story? And the only way that I know that works is tell it boring and work on it. So tell it to a colleague and ask them what they think and let them tell you back what is interesting and what is not interesting. I'll give you an example. How are we going for time? So, yeah, so i give you an example. Um, I was running a story workshop with um, a client a couple of years ago, and I was asking them to talk about a time when they had helped. And I said, look, it can be a business situation or a personal situation. And one of the guys as a marketing manager told me this story about taking his daughter to teach her to swim. It was in Sydney, and he was taking her to the beach in Sydney, and she was still at the point where she had the floaty armbands on her on her arms, right? She was about three years old. And so he was in about waist-deep water. It was not clear water. It was murky. And she was right in front of him, and he was watching her very carefully. And as she was learning to swim, he felt something brush against his leg. And he looked at her. He thought it must have been her. And then she, he realized that she was too far away. It couldn't have been her. So he reached down in the water, and there was something there. And he picked up a boy off the sand, off the bottom, who was drowning right beside him. So he pulled him out of the water, got him up like this, grabbed his daughter, carried both of them to the beach as fast as he could. And as he got the boy to the beach, he started breathing and he was gasping. And then his mother turned up. She ran up and said, oh, there you are. And she grabbed the boy from him before he could explain what had happened. That story kind of blows people's minds, you know, because, um, it has a lot of surprise in it, and it also doesn't finish properly. Like, we like our stories to finish in a, way, in a way. But you see that story, I've told it many times because it's a really good example of surprise and emotion without any emotion words. I didn't, I didn't put a single word in that story about how anybody felt, but you feel it. You feel that story because it's about someone nearly dying, a child nearly dying. This is very important to us. So some things are more important than others. So things where we might die or nearly die, and children, this is more important than everyday business stuff. But we're very interested in what leaders do, and we're very interested in status and hierarchy, and and we're interested in wealth. So we have this sort of hierarchy of what's interesting. But the element of surprise. If you try to deliberately put it into your story, you often miss. But if you just practice the story and say, I think there's something here with this story and you just practice telling it a few different ways, then you probably find a way to do it. That's the practice. That's the art.
0: Lovely, Mike. I think we have a couple more questions
1: Catholic. we can take. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm in lockdown Melbourne. We're in what we call... Uh, Stage four lockdown. We're not allowed outside after eight o'clock at night here at the moment. Australia is going absolutely fine, except for where I live. We have a very bad outbreak of coronavirus. Okay. Okay. Vivekananda asks, is it okay to put some lie in a story because the worth of the lie sometimes works as a great problem-solving tool? Yeah. Often I get asked this question, and I teach salespeople, so, you know, there's a very strong, there could be a strong tendency to want to put an untruth or maybe to say it could have happened like this but not exactly like this. I strongly recommend against it. And some reasons are obvious and others are less obvious. So the most obvious is your personal credibility is on the line. And if you tell a good story, it's going to get told again. It's going to get told to other people. And your lie will get found out. So you tell a good story with a lie in it. That story is traveling and you will be found out and your credibility is shot. There's other problems. And and, and and actually, the your story goes from being doing what you wanted it to do to doing the exact opposite, to being worse than if you had ever told that story at all. You know, there is a place for fables and for... Um, Let's say imaginary stories and religion. We have these stories, right? They probably never happened exactly like that, but they are told by people that we hold in very high esteem, you know, Muhammad or Jesus, or, you know, and in business, if you will, this, this, you know, Einstein told a hundred thousand stories according to the quote, but he probably only ever told a thousand. So people just say it was Einstein that told the story because he has high status, but we don't have high status. So we are not. The average manager and salesperson is not so high status that whatever we say is going to be just believed. So, we cannot do that. We must, for our personal credibility, always tell stories about true things, true facts. We should make sure that we're not embarrassing people with our stories. We should anonymize stories if it might embarrass someone or if it might give up a confidentiality. So, I told you the story about one of our big global customers, but I didn't tell you the name of that client because I don't have their permission to tell that story publicly like this. So I anonymize it. But the story is true. All of the events of the story are 100% true. So, yeah, that's a super important question, and the ethics of this are very important because this is a powerful tool, and powerful tools can be used for good or evil. And our stories should be stories about things that actually happened, true events, That pass a true message. And by true message, I mean I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to educate you and teach you for your benefit. Mm Mine and my benefit, but our mutual benefit. I'm not doing this to manipulate. So a good question. I would also add Yes,
0: Mike. I would also add the brand's credibility is also at stake. I mean, with the Inaccurate or uh, inauthentic message going out, so I'd created this model, the 3A model, which talks about authenticity, accuracy, and agility. And one of the key elements that I talk about is the accuracy, it can, it can be an authentic brand, yet the credibility is at stake if it's, it's an inaccurate message going out. There's a very yeah.
1: simple antidote to that problem, and that is search true. out true stories, find true. good true stories, and there are plenty of them. As soon as you understand what a story is and you listen for them, they're everywhere. You can tell them, and they will do it for you.
0: True, true. I think there's a last question coming up.
1: Yeah, uh... from uh, Mahesh. Statistically, are women better at telling stories and capturing emotion and getting attention than men? No. <laughs> and furthermore, not only that, and I get into huge trouble here in Australia, neither are some cultural native people versus some other people. No, we are all endowed with a neocortex and the differences between men and women and between one ethnic culture and another are far less than the differences between individuals. Essentially, you can say it's the same apparatus for all of us and we are all equally good at that. Perfect equality rules. And the idea that women are better at emotional reasoning than men is also not true. There are some... Psychological studies that show that women favor um, people and relationships over things a little bit more than men in certain situations. Difficult to extract cultural biases on that. But when it comes to storytelling, no, there's nothing to see there. I'm sorry. You're equally good. Both good.
0: Thank you, Mike. I think uh, we're done with the question. So I'd like to thank you on behalf of uh, the IM CoE Code Alumni Association. I think this was a very. Um, interesting session on storytelling because it's so um, so ingrained into our lives, and yet we have, a lot of us don't know how to use the right kind of stories to get a conversation going, or to really make that right kind of impact going for us uh, in our different roles. So I think you've touched upon a lot of points which we can take back uh, home with and really uh, introspect and reflect on, uh, Mike. So uh, thanks again for the session. I think uh, uh, I, I was I was going through a few masterclasses on Malcolm Gladwell as well, and he he's he puts it very interestingly that the most important element of a story is to be interesting, and you can even create an imperfect yeah. analogy to that and Mal- <laughs> draw Mal- readers Mal- in.
1: Malcolm Mal- Mal- Gladwell is almost a story bully. That guy is is <laughs> all story. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to ask your audience to please connect with me because. Um, We run a YouTube channel with uh, stories. Uh, All of our instruction is with stories. So if you want to hear more stories, please connect. You can find me easily on LinkedIn. Just put Mike Adams anecdote. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. You'll find me easily on LinkedIn. And and please connect because um, we're putting stories out all the time.
0: I'm sure a lot of people would want to connect, Mike. This is such an interesting area. I, I hope uh, a lot more people join and tune in, probably even later if they were not able to attend the live session. So, thanks again to the audience. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks again, team Sambhashnam some, some and uh, all the listeners and viewers. Thank you.
1: Thanks. I'm looking forward to when thanks. I can travel to India again. That will be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. We should catch up, Mike. Please do come to campus. It's an open door policy again, so good love <laughs> to. example of yes, HP rings a bell. <laughs> thank you so much, thank you, everyone. Hey guys, listen to the I am Kori Kord Anthem Badalomik class on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Hangama and many more streaming platforms.